Okay, let's get into God's word then. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 15, verse 12. John 15, 12. You should know there's a test coming. There is a test later. It may not be the test you might immediately let your mind race to. It's not like we're going to get out the paper and pen and do true, false, multiple choice in here. Not that kind of test. But in this word, from God's word, we're going to clearly see a test later. Just preparing you early, okay? Before we get to the test, though, we're going to review for the test. You guys ever have that in school where the teacher says there's going to be a test on Friday, but on Thursday, the day before, we're going to review and cover all the stuff that's going to be on the test? You ever have that before? I always laughed at review day because those are the days when you really discover how many people are in your class. I was in, I remember in university, an intro psychology class, like almost everybody has to take this class, and you'd sit there and there'd be 300 people in the room at any time, big class. But on review day, you'd show up and there'd be 450 people in the class and there'd be people standing around. There's not enough seats because they'd come out of the woodwork because it's test review day. So we're going to review and it's cool because in God's word, in this section we're in this morning, there's a whole bunch of review as well. If you've been with us for the last even four weeks, you're going to have seen all this stuff before. And I think it's so cool that God comes along, and in this section in chapter 15 we're in today, he hits all this stuff we've just recently talked about. He hits it again. Why? Because it's important. When you see something repeated that close together in the scriptures, it's important. So we got a review for the test. Good so far? Let's read John 15, 12. And we're going to kind of jump around a little bit, but it's on the screen. You can follow along there as well. Jesus is talking. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Flip over to verse 26. It says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Let's begin. By the way, I've told people I have witnesses. I'm going to cool it on this prop here coming up. I just really need it today. So thank you. You can bear with my writing one more time. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to review all of those things. Everything that we just read in that section of scripture is stuff we've talked about literally over the last four weeks sidebar quickly if you missed any of those we record all of our sermons that go on the internet go on our facebook page go to our website it's the harborcc.ca you can listen to these again and if you go on and you see that they're each 40 minutes long here's a little trick for you this is just going to help you there's this thing on the internet called playback speed you click that you set it to 1.5 speed and it will go faster 
and you'll get to hear people talk really fast, and it's kind of funny. You're welcome. We're going to review. Here, here is what God wants to see in us. I got six things of review. What God wants to see in us, what we should be pursuing in our lives. Number one is this, relationship. Somebody say relationship. That is the furthest thing from new information if you've been hanging around in here the last bunch of weeks. It's all about relationship. And Jesus says it right here in verse 15 of our text. He says, I have called you friends. Friends, highly relational language. And what we've talked about in the last bunch of weeks is it's all about walking in that relationship with Jesus. It's not just religion. It's not just checking off the box. It's not just trying to be a good person. It's literally a real, life-giving, life-changing relationship with the God who created you. Anybody would agree with me on that? Good. Okay. So that's what he wants. He says here in verse 15... I no longer call you servants. Now, what's interesting about that is that as Christians, we are still servants of Jesus, right? But it's not in that way of he's the taskmaster, the slave driver, and we're just here being beaten into submission. No, it's not like that. He calls us his friends. And it's really neat about Jesus because as a Christian, the posture that Jesus or the position that Jesus is supposed to be in in our lives, he's God with us, which is awesome, but he's at the same time God over us. See what happens there? God with us and God over us. We get to serve him as his friends. He goes on to say, you guys know what the master is doing. So not only can we be close to Jesus and have this relationship with him, we actually get to be involved in what he's doing in the world, which is really cool. Jesus is reconciling things to himself. He's redeeming the creation. He's saving people. There's all sorts of awesome things that he's doing, and we get to play a part in that as we walk with him in relationship. Somebody say, that's pretty cool. It is, it is. So that's the first thing. And we're just, we're going through these super fast. The second thing that God wants from us, and we've seen it in this text, we need to be filled with, guess what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's correct. We talked about that a few weeks ago as well. It says in verse 26, the helper is coming, the spirit of truth. Jesus says he will bear witness about me. What we said about the Holy Spirit, who is God, he's the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead. We said that ultimately the Holy Spirit's role is to point us to Jesus. And we see it here again. He's our helper, right? We said that the Holy Spirit helps us walk with Jesus. He helps us keep our eyes on Jesus. He helps us become like Jesus. Here it says he's the spirit of truth. And we read a few weeks ago, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. So the Holy Spirit guides us into the truth of Jesus, right? Makes sense. We talked about the fact that all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Remember I gave the example of my Brita pitcher that I don't use and it's empty under my cupboard there like that? It's not filled. I have it. I possess it, but it's, it's not the same as being filled and being used. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's super critically important because that is where the power is. That's where the power comes from for us to persevere. Because how many of you know life is hard? It's very hard. We need power to endure and to persevere. The Holy Spirit is where we're going to find strength to do anything of any significance for God. The Holy Spirit is what, who convicts us when we get off track and helps us get back on track. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Go back and listen to that from a few weeks ago if you missed that and you want to hear more about that. The third thing God wants from us is this. It's to love one another. Say that. Love one another. Love one another. That comes from John chapter 13. We read that a few weeks ago. Super important. We said this. Love is not a feeling or an emotion primarily. It's an action and it's a choice. It's a, it's a desire and a doing of good for someone else. Remember we said that love is not just goodwill. It's not just, I happen to not hate you, so I must love you. It shows up in someone's life and it builds them up and it serves them and it meets their needs. That's love in action. We said that this is directly, primarily focused on loving other Christians as well. Yes to loving all the world, for sure. But when it says love one another, it's saying that we got to make sure we get this right in here first. We got to be showing up in each other's lives and and showing this love to each other if we're going to get this right. Still with me? Jesus says here, greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. That's a couple of things. Number one, it's a prediction of his upcoming death. Jesus spoke these words in John 15 the night before he went to the cross. He's predicting that that's coming up because that's what he does. He lays down his life for us. This is also an example for us. And no, we're not gonna go to the cross to die for each other's sins, duh, but we're to selflessly love each other. We are to put others' needs, and by others, again, we're starting right here in this room, we're to put each other's needs above our own. I'm to serve you and show love to you even if it costs me, even if it inconveniences me. That'll preach, just saying. That'll preach. But that's what Jesus wants from us, to show love to one another starting in the church. Next, what God wants from us is obedience. You know what to do? Say obedience. Obedience. It says here in verse 14 of our text, you are my friends if you do what I command you. That is obedience. And when talking about obedience in the last few weeks, we said this is not how you, quote, earn your favor with God. It's not by following the rules. You actually can't earn your favor with God. It's a gift that he wants to give to you. So it's not about just, I gotta follow the rules and then God will accept me. Not what it is. It's also, excuse me, I need a drink, I tell you. It's also not a case of, okay, as a Christian, if you miss one rule, if you don't perfectly follow everything, you're thrown off the bus while it's moving. That's not what this is talking about. Remember, we used a verse from Matthew chapter five that says what God is after in us is a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. In other words, you're not perfect. You're gonna stumble. You're gonna slip up. But what is your heart? Are you pursuing this? Are you desiring this? That's gonna be reflected in the way that you live. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what obedience is. Fifth thing that God wants to see in us. I gotta get way down low here. He wants us to bear good, what? Fruit. Thank you. We just talked about that last week at length. Bearing good fruit. See in verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Sidebar for one quick second. At the start of that verse where Jesus says, you did not choose me, I chose you, sometimes people can get a little squirrely over verses like that. It's not real controversial when you think of it in terms of he's 
immediately talking to his disciples, who he clearly singled out, he clearly chose them, he clearly appointed them. Where people get a little squirrely on a verse like this, though, is when they think of it in terms of how it applies to the rest of us as Christians. Because you get into the whole conversation of election and predestination and this irresistible grace and, oh, like, do people even have a choice in whether they get saved or not? It's like, do, do I just, am I just dragged along for the ride? There's whole conversations about that. There's whole books written about that debate. And I only simply bring that up just to say that that conversation has a place, but that isn't really what Jesus is trying to get at here. What he's trying to say is simply this, anyone who is saved was first called, was first chosen. In other words, you don't initiate your salvation. It's not, I woke up one day and I decided I'd be saved and I had to go get God in on the program. No, he calls you. He reaches his hand out to you. Make sense? Okay, so unsidebar, he says, I want you to bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Last week we talked about fruit is stuff that is produced in your life, stuff that grows in your life, the harvest, the crop that is visible in your life, that is fruit. And God wants us to have good godly fruit growing in our life, not the fruit of anger or, or rage or chaos or confusion or immorality. He wants good godly fruit, fruit of the spirit, etc. We talked about all of that. And what we said last week is that this good Good fruit grows in us when we abide in the relationship with Jesus. John 15, 5, it says, whoever abides in me, it is he who bears much fruit. So that's where it happens, bearing good fruit. The last thing is this. Number six is pray. Does anyone see the bottom of the screen? Who, who put that there? That's an inside thing. A few weeks ago, we were talking about this, and what I said was, what I want to tell you is pray, you moron. It's right there. So let that just minister to you today, right? But here it is yet again. I love you guys. Here's what it says. He's talking about so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We've talked about this. This is not saying you can pray for anything you want, no matter how dumb, stupid, sinful, selfish, destructive it is. But if you just throw in the tag of in Jesus' name at the end of it, his hands are tied and he's got to answer that prayer and give you what you want. Eh, no, not what he's saying. It says in my name. That's in accordance with his character and his will. And what we said is when we abide in the relationship with Jesus, when we sit at his feet and spend time with him, he starts to change us from the inside. He starts to change our heart. And all of a sudden, naturally, supernaturally, we start praying things that are more in line with who he is and what his will is and what his heart is. He, he gets us onto his heart. And he, what he's saying, though, is when you do all this stuff, it's going to help you have a more effective prayer life. And I do remember asking you if anyone wanted a more effective prayer life, and most every hand in the room went up. Well, that is where it starts. It's all this right here. He wants us to pray. So all of this, this is the review. We covered all of this in the last four weeks. It was busy, okay? We've been busy in here. This right here is what God wants in our life. What this is... This is a life that is centered on Christ right here. This is not a life where Jesus is just some sidebar. He's some afterthought. And yeah, I'll consider him if I need something or if I go to church once in a while. No, this is a whole life and a lifestyle right here centered on Christ. And what this is saying is, is when we abide in the relationship 
with Jesus and we're filled with the Holy Spirit as we go, all of this stuff, all the rest of our life is gonna be affected. That's a whole life. And that's what Jesus wants to see in us. That's what we've discussed. That's the review. Give yourselves a hand. You did great on the test review. We're never gonna do this perfectly, by the way. So rest easy. This is our target that we aim at, but we're all gonna stumble. Jesus has lots of grace for us. But this starts not by taking a class, not by putting a donation in the plate, not by becoming some super Christian Bible scholar. This can happen in your life. This starts with a decision to surrender to Jesus and say, you know what? I'm here in my life and I want to get closer to you and I want this. No matter what's going on in my life, Jesus, I want this. And you press in and you choose him and you put one foot in front of the other and you start making it your business to walk with him. This can happen in your life. This can happen in your life. Okay, thank you. I was waiting for that. So that's the review. I'm gonna leave this here Just as a reminder, this is what God is after in us. This is a whole life right here. God wants this. You remember I told you there'd be a test later. That's what we're gonna talk about now. And admittedly, I was not 100% accurate in saying there's gonna be a test later. Here's how I could say it better. You're already in the test and there's more to come. You are already in the test, friend. If you live and breathe on this earth, which you all do, you are in the test. Yeah. It's happening all around you. So let's, let's carve into this middle section of Scripture in John uh, chapter 15, starting at verse 18. I'll just read this to you. The test is right in here. Jesus says, if the world hates you, getting intense, Right? Know that it has, hate, it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, remember, therefore, that the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. How uplifting, Right? If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates my father or hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Skip to chapter 16, verse one. Jesus says, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. It's a bit sobering, right? You're like, what happened to all the encouraging, uplifting stuff here, right? But listen, this is super, super incredibly important because whether you want to acknowledge it or not, this is happening around you. 
This is going on. So let's carve into this. The first thing, I got two things that you need to know about that section of text. The first one is this. The world hates Jesus, and by extension, it hates us. The world hates Jesus, and by extension, it hates us. Now, you might have a little bit of trouble rationalizing that as a Christian, right? You might say, why would anyone hate Jesus? I love Jesus. He's awesome. He's done so much for me. He's the God who created me, and he's given me life and breath, and he's given me a purpose in life, and he wants this relationship with me, and he saved me from my sin. He pulled me out of the mud, and he set my feet on dry ground, and he filled me with his spirit, and he made me a new creation, and and he's promised eternal life for me. So not only is he with me now, he's coming back for me later, and I'll get to be with him forever. That's the Jesus that you and I know. Is he not a wonderful Jesus? Yes. So, so it's hard sometimes to think, why is anybody against that? Why would anyone not want that in our lives? Yet that is absolutely the case in the world. And I'll tell you why. A couple of things. First of all, there's a whole battle going on that we often don't see. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about how our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and the rulers and the principalities and the authorities of darkness in the heavenly places, in the unseen realm. There's literally a battle happening right now that often we don't see. Satan is battling against God. Satan hates God. He's trying to discredit and destroy that which God has made, including you. And so even though this battle is happening and we don't see it, the effects, though, spill over into this world. One of those is that it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that that the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to prevent them from seeing the truth. In your mind, you might think, why would anyone hate Jesus? Well, it's because their minds have been blinded by Satan. That's what the Bible says. So let it not be a surprise because there's a battle going on all around us. We also battle against our own flesh, our own sinful nature, right? Right, we become a Christian, you're made a new creation, it's awesome, praise the Lord, but we still fight against the flesh. At least this guy does. That was funny. Thank you. We battle against the flesh. It says in Galatians 5.17 that our flesh is hostile against God. It keeps us from doing the things that God wants to see in our lives. And one of the things you see in that is that the world living out of the flesh, because the, the world can't walk by the Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit, so we're walking in the flesh. The gospel message is super offensive to the world because part of the gospel message is telling people, hey, you're broken and you need to be fixed. You're not good. Only God is good. You are unrighteous and you need to be saved. And people hate that. They say, how dare you question my goodness? How dare you? Because that's what the flesh tells us. You're good, you're doing great. Live your truth, all that stuff, right? So the result is the culture, the world, the systems of the world. Many individuals in the world are against Jesus, against him. And what he says, though, is, hey, I've shown up in the world. I've done things in the world. I've done things right in front of your face. And the world, listen, you're accountable for that now. When that gospel message goes out, he says in verse 22 and 24, I came, I spoke, you've seen me do the works. If you're hearing this word, you're now accountable for it. And if you're not a Christian, 
He's calling you to get onto this. He's calling you to surrender your life to him, to repent of your sins, to walk in newness of life by faith in Christ. Don't just walk as the world tells you to walk. The Bible tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, not to be conformed to the way of this world. The world is against Jesus, friends. And by extension, like you see here, the world hates us as Christians as well. It doesn't stop at Jesus. The world hates people who belong to Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to this, the more the world is gonna hate you. They don't really hate you because you go to church on Sunday. They don't really hate you because you pray before the meal. They don't really hate you if you're like trying to do the right thing. They hate you the closer you get to Jesus. Just let that be known. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you're gonna be in a position where the world will hate you. Just saying. And that is the test. This is the test. The world and its systems and the culture that we live in is not set up for this to happen in your life. It's not set up that way. If you are swimming in the stream of the world, it's not going to lead you to this. So we've got to swim upstream. And if you swim upstream, you're gonna be bumping heads with the other fish, okay? This is going to put you at odds with the world. When you say, okay, I want to go after that which God wants to see in me, the world is gonna take notice and they're gonna hate you for it. You're gonna be mocked you're gonna be excluded from things. You're gonna be ridiculed. People are going to think less of you because you have a relationship with Jesus. It's what the Bible says. It's plain as day right in here. The world is not a neutral place for you as a Christian. If you're earnestly doing this, the heat is gonna be on you. The heat's gonna get turned up. Yes, you may have individuals in your life who know you and love you, and even though they may not be Christians, they're supportive of what you're doing, and they're not against you, that's great, but I'm saying the world and the systems of the world and many people in the world are not for you in this. And I would ask you this, this is the jerk question, or at least one of them. Don't answer this out loud, please. If in your life as a Christian, you are not feeling the heat from the world, I wonder why that is. If you're feeling super comfortable in the world as a Christian, no one ever bothers you, the heat's never on you, you're just doing your thing. I, I, by the way, I'm not saying go look for trouble either. I'm not saying go to work tomorrow and jump up on the desk and start yelling and screaming at people and beating them with your Bible. You don't have to do that, okay? But Jesus says, as you do this, the world is gonna hate you. If you're not feeling the heat at least a little bit in your life, you can meet me in the parking lot for a little rumble after if you want. When I say this to you, it probably means that you're not swimming upstream as much as you think you are. And yeah, we don't want the heat. We don't want to be hated. We don't want to be against people. But this is what happens when we get closer to Jesus. That is the test. And you are in it right now. 
Heads nodding. Is this making sense? Let's dial it up here then. Number two is this. Not only will the world hate you because you're a Christian, persecution will come. Persecution will come. Persecution, by the way, we're talking about an intense, people are mistreating you, there's, there's abuse, tormenting you, doing damage to you, really picking on you and harassing you, in this case, because of your faith. Jesus says, that's gonna come. I'll remind you, he says in verse 20, if they persecuted me, did they persecute Jesus? Yeah. Yes, they will persecute you. They will persecute you. Can I make it any more plain than that? Probably not, right? You need to know, we have it so easy in this part of the world. Maybe you've had a little bit of a hard time because of your faith and people have made fun of you and all this stuff, and I'm not downplaying that. That's not persecution. That's an inconvenience. Or if it is persecution, it's of the very lightest form. There are literally places in the world where you will be beaten. Your home can be taken. You can actually be put to death, not because you're some criminal, but because you belong to Jesus. That's persecution. And in fact, I found on the internet some figures from an organization called Open Doors. They track all this stuff. And I've got some data from the year 2022, just this past year. I'm gonna read these figures to you. Now, before I do, on their website, they have this big, bold thing right on the top that says these figures are extremely conservative. In all actuality, like this is the bare minimum. In all likelihood, these numbers are actually way higher than this, but this is a bare minimum figure, persecution around the world among, uh, toward Christians. Last year alone, 2022, there were 5,621 Christians killed because of their faith. They didn't commit a crime other than being a Christian. Killed. Again, that's probably a very low number. And if you think that isn't a lot, like let me just say it again, 5,600 people died because they belonged to Jesus, okay? Leave that one there. 2,110 people, or, or churches or Christian buildings were attacked last year. 5,259 people were abducted because of their faith. 3,154 people were detained for their faith. 1,388 people sentenced for their faith. 2,126 were sexually assaulted or harassed for their faith. And what boils my blood is a lot of them are women. 29,411 people experienced physical or mental abuse strictly because people knew they were Christian. 4,547 Christian homes were attacked. 2,210 Christian businesses or businesses owned by Christians attacked. 124,310 people were forced to leave their home and or go into hiding last year because they were a Christian. 14,997 people didn't just have to flee their home, they had to leave their country because of the persecution that was happening to them. This is happening in the world right now. It is. And if you read the scriptures and you see the way the world is going, what it suggests is this. It's gonna get harder and less convenient and less easy for Christians. It's gonna get more difficult and worse before it gets better. How's that for encouraging, right? Pat on the back, Braden, for that, right? 
But this is just, I'm just delivering the mail. This is what it is. Persecution will come. And I would ask you this, what happens, don't answer out loud, how are you gonna respond? How am I gonna respond if it breaks out here? Likely when it breaks out here. What am I gonna do when someone shows up and says, we're taking your house? What, am I, what are you gonna do if someone shows up and says, get in the back of this police car, you're going to jail? What are you gonna do? Literally, I'm not playing. I'm not playing you guys today. What are you gonna do if your life is on the line because you're a Christian? How are we gonna respond? That's deep, that's large, that's huge, that's everything. What I want to do, I am gonna spin this around to encourage you. We're not gonna end yet. I wanna give you four things that we still see in God's word that we haven't talked about yet in this section we read. What's the right response to all of this? What's the right response if the heat gets turned up on me from the world? What if the world starts to really hate me because I love Jesus? What's the right response if persecution breaks out and I experience it? I got four things and then I'm done. The right response to all of this, number one is this, take courage. Somebody say, take courage. Jesus says in chapter 16, verse one, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Therein lies the tactic of the enemy. He wants you to come up against persecution and then you'll wither and fall away. He wants you to say, this difficulty is not worth it. I'm out, I'm gone. That's what the enemy wants. But Jesus wants you to not fall away, but to endure till the end. The enemy is gonna try to get you focused on the trouble, the hatred, the persecution. I I think of the story of when Jesus was walking on the water and the disciples saw him and Peter says, I'm coming to you. And he steps out of the boat and he starts to walk on the water toward Jesus. He actually walks on the water like Jesus. But when he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he sees the waves, He sees the trouble, the turmoil, the wild surf. He panics. He starts to sink. There's a parallel here. The enemy wants us to focus on the trouble and not on the truth. He wants you to focus on your situation, not on your Savior. And we can't fall for that. We got to take courage. I'll just remind you, as a Christian, you have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. As a Christian, you belong to the kingdom against whom the gates of hell will not prevail. As a Christian, you have been given a spirit not of fear, but of power. So now is the time for us to rise up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now is the time to rise up and say, I'm gonna take courage, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's not by might, it's not by power, says the Lord, but by my spirit. That is what he's calling you to do. You've got to take courage in the Lord. That's where it begins and ends, right there. Take courage. The second response to this, hand in hand with the first one, you've got to remember that Jesus is in control. Who's in control? Jesus is in control. I I love that this ends in verse four. He says, I'm telling you all these things now so that when they happen, you will remember that I said them to you. 
And that can just go by us so quickly, but it's super relevant. You understand, Jesus knows what's gonna happen before it happens. That's God language, by the way. He's God. He is sitting on a throne. He is high and exalted. He's the everlasting God. He is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful. And we've got to trust in him in that. You see, he knows your past. He knows your present, and he knows your future. And nothing is going to happen that's going to take him by surprise. Let me say it this way. It's not like, here's what's not going to happen with Jesus. Oh, we were rolling along just great, but then persecution broke out, and oh man, now I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. What do I do now? No, it's not going to surprise him. Jesus knows what's going to happen to you already. He knows it. And not only is he all-knowing, he's all-powerful. If he was only all-knowing and couldn't do anything about it, it wouldn't be that helpful, amen? But he can. He's all-powerful. He cannot be overpowered. And what I want to say to you is this. As a Christian, what you have been given in Christ cannot be taken away by the world. The world hates you and it might come after you. They might take your money. They might take your house. They might throw you in jail. They might even take your life, but they cannot steal your joy. They cannot steal your hope. They cannot steal the salvation that you've been given in Jesus Christ. That is untouchable because Jesus is in control. Somebody help me today. So you gotta remember, you gotta take courage. You gotta remember Jesus is in control. Two more things. Number three is this. When life gets hard because of your faith, which it will, you pursue Jesus even harder. Those are the moments. Yes, let's, let's go after him when the seas are calm and when things are good. But when you get into the heat, go after him. Relationships, so critical, so important. And in this text that we see in John 15 and 16, again, the context is persecution, yet Jesus issues all this relational language. In verse 19, he says, don't forget, I chose you. I chose you. He wants this with us. Verse three of chapter 16, he's talking about the world. He says, they don't know me. But what he's implying is, hey, Christians, you do know me. You can have this. You can walk with me through it all. And what's really, really cool about Jesus is that he does not leave us high and dry when we're struggling, when we're in a hardship, like persecution. It's not like he says, oh, don't come crying to me. Come talk to me when you're feeling a little better and things get better. No, Jesus actually meets with people who are being persecuted in a special way. He, he has a special heart for those people that you might not see when the seas are calm which I love about Jesus. He's so good that way. It says in 1 Peter 4.14, it says, when you're insulted because of your faith, you're actually blessed because the spirit of God rests on you. You can actually experience a deeper communion in the Holy Spirit when you're persecuted than when you're not. Interesting. Matthew 5.12 says, when you're persecuted on my account, you're blessed because great is your reward in heaven. You're actually setting up a reward in heaven when you're persecuted here. You're, you're positioning yourself for greater blessing. 1 Peter 1.7 says that when our faith is tested, such as when we're persecuted, it refines us, it sharpens us. God does a work in us for the praise and the glory of God. You can actually become more like Jesus through the trial, through the heat, through the suffering. Interesting. When life gets hard, you pursue Jesus even harder. The fourth thing is this, and then I'm done. 
This one is absolutely upside down when you think of it just in a logical perspective, but this is so Jesus. Number four is this. What's the right response to persecution? You witness boldly. In a way, hilarious. It's like you're telling me that the world hates me and you're telling me that I gotta go witness to them? Yeah, that's exactly what he's telling you. That's literally exactly what he's telling us to do. Because we'd be tempted, right? Oh, well, if there's hatred and opposition and oppression, let's just pull the drawbridge up. I'm gonna retreat. It'll just be me and Jesus. No, that's not what he's telling you to do at all. At all. I love this one. The, The one verse we didn't read was John 15, 27. He makes it so plain. You will also bear witness. You, me, us. Hello, right? Even though the world hates us, we are called not to run from them, but to run to them, to show the love of Christ to them, to serve them, to meet their needs, to witness to them. Guess what? That's what Jesus did for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that you were buddy-buddy with him and you'd done so much for him that he was obligated to come alongside you. No, we were enemies of God, totally against him, totally unrighteous. And it was in that moment that he stepped in. He served us because he loves us and he died to save us. And he calls us now to get onto that same heart as well about the world. So regardless of the opposition that comes, what we're being called to do is share the gospel with people. Tell them the good news about the Jesus that they think they hate so badly. Tell them the good news. Pray for people, serve people, meet needs, point them to Jesus. That's what it is to bear witness. And here's what's so cool. I love this. Some of the most persecuted countries and areas in the world, guess what? They're the places where the gospel spreads the fastest. Awesome. That is totally God. Totally God. Because logically, it doesn't make any sense. But it does in his kingdom. That's how it works. Look what it says in verse 20. Jesus said earlier in verse 20, he said, if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you too. In other words, most people, when you go to bear witness, I'm just telling you, most people aren't gonna listen. They're not. It's a narrow path that we preach, right? But we don't give up on those people. If you meet opposition when you're you're sharing and witnessing, you don't give up. Keep praying for them. Keep loving them. Keep serving them. Keep pointing them to Jesus. But I love this. Look what it says in verse 20 right there. Jesus throws this little thing in. I almost missed it at the start of this week. He says, but if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. In other words, some people are gonna listen. It's a promise. Some people are gonna listen. And that makes it so it's not in vain. It's totally worth it. Yes, a million people might say no and they might hate you and might resist you, but one might say yes. Because you need to know, in this world that is, seems like it's getting further and further from God every day, you, you need to believe there are still people in the world who are hungry, who want to know God. They're ready. They're, green, they're ripe apples. And we need to go out there and witness to them. There are persons of peace in the world. We need to go. How can they hear if we don't go and tell them? 
How can they know Jesus if we don't share him with them? So we've got to go. And this is where we pour our effort into because this is where the harvest is. Some people will listen. They will get saved. They will join the mission. They will be positive contributors to the kingdom. They will bring the gospel to the world. They will reap a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. We need to get on to this. This is what discipling is. This is what we need to do. Friends, this is it. This is it. Let's go. Let's go. I I, want to say this to you. If you're fearful about this, all this maybe might happen in my life, I just remind you, God is calling you and he's enabling you and he's positioning you. You actually get to have an impact for his kingdom in your life, even amidst the trouble, even amidst the hatred, even amidst any persecution that might come up. And I don't know about you, I want my life to count for something for God. I want, when I see Jesus, when my life is over, I want him to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You played a part in the advancement of my kingdom. And I want that for you guys too.